did you find or see any cryptozoological type critters out there in the glaciers? Unfortunately, no. I Can we edit the no out and just... You saw a puffin. Welcome to the edge of nowhere. Lore Tor Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Carr, here along with my co-host in the Ben to my Jerry, Mr. Matt Ozero, aka the Moz. How are we doing today, Moz? No complaints. Me neither. You know why? Because I didn't find anything worthy in my old business notes. I think we're clean right now. Let's do it. I have some old business. Yeah, what's up? Could we be the ho- the hog into my DOS? Hagen to my das instead yeah. of the bed to my I'm just cherry. doing a rewrite already. Mm. Well, think about it. Put it that, in old business. It's very tasty. I like it. Old business is really lean, so we can put some ice cream in there. There you go. We have instant old business. Yep. We're going to switch the Ben and Jerry to Hagen das. And it's delicious. Hagen to my das. Yeah. Brilliant idea. Uh, if you anyone out there listening thinks we may have missed something, need to correct something, add something or whatnot, please send us an email to monsterloretor at gmail.com. We'll read it as quickly as possible and respond as quickly as possible. But anywho, now that I have my first episode under my belt, and we've gone through uh, some of Maz's creations, I figured it was time to start getting weird with my own arc that I'm going to take through this season. I'm going to present today a new type of podcast episode, at least I think. haven't really heard anyone else do something you know, in this vein, really, but uh, something I'm calling a thought experiment episode. So, you ready for this new, but probably not really type of podcast episode, Moss? I'm excited and somewhat frightened. All right. But uh, before we begin, our alien overlords are forcing me to tell you that uh, you need to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash tour and or our website at monsterloretour.com has a link to our Patreon on there as well. And join up, support the cause, keep on rolling down the road with us here at the Monster Lore Tour, and uh, we'll try to keep making this tour more and more exciting for you as we go. Alien overlords, though? I thought we were... You said we'd be our own boss. You said that when we... Done the business proposal stage. I only brought up the alien overlords because... We are getting into the UAP Ah, saga that I have created to start my seasonal arc. We're going to deal with a lot of UFO, UAP kind of stuff. Uh, Can I make a comment already? Can I start? Sure. I think the UAP is a downgrade from UFO. I kind of feel like that too. And it is referenced in my notes slash scripture that I wrote. It's like Pluto. It's like a downgrade. Instead of an object, you're a phenomena. It's like... You're a phenomenoid is really what's happening. Yeah, it's like it's not really real necessarily anymore. You know, no. it's just some, it's something, but it's... a it's, flash in the pan yeah, is what it know. is. It does feel like a bit of a downgrade. We want both. We want to have physical things that land in the backyard and make indentations. Well, and I guess... there's the spook light stuff, you know? In a They're way, different. maybe it would be helpful because we can expand the, the lexicon... And not just call everything a UFO, but it's kind of like the the cryptid and the cryptoid. Exactly. The UFO is the cryptid. Yes. The UAP is the cryptoid. Yep. That may not be quite so solid, physical a thing. More ethereal. Yeah, more ethereal. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, that's we we could actually start defining them in different ways, and you know, putting a finer point on things. And 
my shapeshifter one, I'm going to do that. Not with UAPs, of course, but it's similar. It's the same yeah. idea. I'm going to be breaking down shapeshifters in a similar kind of from most, from a person to more spirit and what the, then they're going to fit into different groups. I'm working on that right now. Cool. Yeah. All right. I am looking forward to that, man. So back to shapeshifters. Anywho, <laughs> so uh, what I'm really doing is for this first two-parter that I'm starting my arc with, is really more of a thought experiment. Thought experiment episode. So what is that exactly? So what I'm doing, I'm, I, I took a situation, in this case encounters with UAPs by U.S. military pilots and radar systems, all that stuff that everybody's been hearing about recently and has heard about in the past that's flying around in my head. Then I saw this story in the news that, didn't really seem at first to have anything to do with that. But as I read it, it sparked this connection in my mind. And I was like, wait, what did I just say? Could that like really be a thing? You know? Easter diva moment, as Maz might call it. Uh, so then I, you know, took a moment and I spun it around and flipped it over on itself and mashed these few things together. And it turned into this you know, two-part podcast episode, basically about UAPs, if I got to point, put a definition to it. And this is all going to lead to one of the most profoundly a-hole guano, guano <laughs> theories. A-hole guano. A-hole, did I say a-hole? <laughs> Excuse me. One of the most profound a-hole guano, I did say a-hole. That is our batshit theory. Our batshit theory of the week. And, uh, yeah, I don't think we've ever heard anything like this. And it might take a while to match it. I don't know. We're pretty... We're We're pretty pretty weird. Yeah, at at least until the next one. It'll be the weirdest (laughs) one you hear until the next one anyway. We can multitask. So, really, in its essence, this two-part series will serve as a sort of early history of the UAP era of UFOlogy. So, like, do you get what I'm saying there? Like, it's... we'll, We'll be covering... The more recent UAP stuff first that they keep releasing new right videos now. and right. stuff, which is a good amount. We're going to cover that in the next series of episodes I'm doing after this. Mm-hmm. It's all about like potential alien probes and things like that. Uh, this new stuff's all really cool and exciting. But before I get to that, you want to lay the groundwork. I, I want to, yeah, I want to like kind of start at the beginning, establish maybe some new facts that connect to this that. People haven't really thought of some potential theories and then get really just wild with it in the end. With you some you want to get the stuff. framework and the structure of a thing we just decided was right. a phenomenoid. Right. <laughs> right. It's going to be very kind of, it is going to be very thought experimenty. I'm going to ask you to take some leaps of faith with me at times just to kind of theorize about things. But in here, we're also going to get some real stories, some real facts, some connections in the real world that might actually mean, really mean something in you know real world application in the near future nice potentially so anywho uh what we are talking about today all really starts back in the day with the roswell crash project blue book area 51 but that's all those are all actually completely different future episodes in themselves so we're going to get into the uap era for those unaware uap is the military industrial new term for ufo stands for unidentified aerial phenomena for anyone who hasn't heard it spelled out like that yet uh, i guess they didn't want to sound too sure that these things are actually physical objects when they were putting it on the record so downgrade it to a phenomena instead of an object and then say it's a thing yeah and then it's, say it's, it's, it's a non-thing thing. right right it's not really a thing yeah. but we will admit that it's a thing now yeah. that's not really a thing yeah. <laughs> your government oh, such, and you yeah. That your government at work, everybody. Uh, so now, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you may already be well aware of the incidents we're going to discuss, or at least a good number of them, but we are going to make all those connections and stuff in a way that most of you probably haven't heard before. So hold on to your hats. Let's get into it. Our story today begins with a man. And that man, in this case, is Luis Elizondo. In 2017, Mr. Elizondo, a former U.S. Army counterintelligence special agent and former employee 
of the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, who was working for the Department of Defense as the head of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, AATIP. As part of his job, he received regular updates on any and every sighting made by U.S. military personnel of any potential threat. This included all the incidents involving UFOs, or what he would call UAPs. In October of 2017, Mr. Elizondo resigned from his position at the Threat Identification Program, specifically noting in his resignation letter how he felt the program was not being taken seriously by its government overseers, and that the government secrecy and opposition to the project made it all but impossible for the program to do its intended job. Again, sounds like the government, right? After resigning from his position with the government, Mr. Elizondo released some of the original cockpit footage videos to the press. You may now know these videos by the names Tic Tac, Go Fast, Gimbal. I shopped again. This is kind of the original video release for the UAP era. This led to the recent ruckus about UFOs, their rebranding as UAPs, and the Congress suddenly all getting up in arms about being put in the loop on this stuff, which they already were, but will never admit to because, you know, politicians. This led to the recent congressional hearings about this stuff with U.S. military leaders having to come out in public and say that there exists technologies of which we are unaware that have presented themselves to us in a potentially threatening manner and we have no real idea who they are or what they're about. This is the sort of thing no military leader ever wants to say to anyone, never mind in a public forum. To give you a better idea of Mr. Elizondo's observations, here are some snippets from a 60 Minutes piece you can find on YouTube titled, Navy Pilots Describe Encounters with UFOs. This is Mr. Elizondo himself describing observed UAPs. The government has already stated for the record that they're real. I'm not telling you that. The United States government is telling you that. The question is, what is it? What are its intentions? What are its capabilities? Imagine a technology that can do six to 700 G-forces, that can fly at 13,000 miles an hour, that uh, it can evade radar, and that can fly through air and water and possibly space, and oh, by the way, has no obvious signs of propulsion, no wings, no control surfaces, and yet still can defy the natural effects of Earth's gravity. That's precisely what we're seeing. There you go. Some heavy stuff, right? Yeah, and it's stuff we've heard for so long, but now, all of a sudden, it's being taken seriously. Because it's coming from the horse's mouth, so to speak, now. You know, right. it's not people on the street. It's the government. It's the military. It's Well, it was always the pilots and the military. It's just now it's, in a, it's reached a di- different level. Yeah, the pilots were discouraged from ever recording right. anything for so long. Like, who right. knows how many... We lost More endless accounts because of they were afraid of the ridicule. Yeah, those recordings. Hey, do, do you want to report anything? Like, no, I don't want to report anything. Yeah, after they started saying, <laughs> what the heck is that? How about you? You want to report yeah. something? No, uh, I don't want to report nothing. I didn't see nothing. Yep. Well, you don't want to get a psych assessment. Yeah, you don't want to get a yeah. blem- blemish on your record. They're just going to sell you off as crazy because, you know. It's easier. Yeah, easier than facing the fact that you really saw something. Yep. But anyway, where was I here? So, after the congressional hearing sparked by Mr. Elizondo's resignation and whistleblowing, these UAP videos got popular in the public eye. The one that got the most attention features what people refer to as the Tic Tac craft. This is a Tic Tac-shaped craft that was observed by radar and pilots from the USS Nimitz in a 2004 encounter. The Tic Tac was first observed at a very high altitude of 80,000 feet. Upon being observed, it appeared to take some evasive action that astonished all of the personnel working the radar equipment. In less than a second, the craft descended to under 20,000 feet and as low as 50 feet above sea level. You're talking potentially, you know, nearly 80,000 foot drop and at least 60,000 foot drop in less than a second. It's basically an impossible feat. 
And you're coming right up to, you know, a shark's length of a couple of shark's length of the water. <laughs> yeah, and if it really dropped to fifty, like that's gonna hit a cruise ship, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, and and as I said, an impossible feat, but at least with any technology that we know about, it's an impossible feat. I right. shouldn't put that disclaimer on that. There's no way a craft of this planet that we know of can descend that quickly straight down by any means of propulsion that we know to exist. But there are theories to allow for it. We'll get into that in a bit. But that's why they're going from non-physical to phenomenon, because they're thinking True. this is not something that can physically occur, or they can't wrap their heads around it. Some sort of energy being rather than a physical being, right? or physical craft. A ball of light. Uh, oh, maybe it's just an energy being. Interesting. Well, But we're getting off track. Let's get into some details about the Nimitz encounter. In November of 2004, the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was out on training maneuvers about 100 miles southwest of San Diego. So not really that far offshore, all things considered, about 100 miles. As part of the operations, the USS Princeton was nearby working with some newly advanced radar equipment. While the Nimitz was going through its standard training operation, the Princeton got some strange readings on their fancy new radar system. They got on the radio to the Nimitz and reported multiple and numerous anomalous vehicles over the horizon. This is when they witnessed the astonishing vertical drop that we just talked about. At this point, the Nimitz scrambled two fighter jets, each with a pilot and weapons officer on board, to try and intercept this unknown craft with astounding maneuverability. When the jets approached the area where the Tic Tac was now located, they saw something very strange. They were flying over wide open ocean on a calm day. The waters were calm, but they noticed one spot with a bunch of surface turbulence going on, like frothing white water. Upon further observation, the pilots saw what they described as a craft about the size of a 737 was rising up from deeper water, causing the white water on the surface. This is where things start to get really weird. The initial cause for their investigation, the so-called tic-tac craft, comes swooping in and starts moving around above the section of whitewater being caused by this craft rising up from the bottom. Now, the movement of this craft was like nothing these pilots had ever seen. This thing is moving around in a way that even professional military pilots can't wrap their heads around. There's nothing humans know that can make a craft move like that except for so far unproven theories but again, let's finish our story. One of the jets stays up to observe, and the other begins a downward spiral trajectory to see if they can get closer to this craft, or these crafts, I should say. But as the jet begins to descend, the Tic Tac apparently takes notice, breaks off from whatever odd interaction it is having with the submerged craft, and immediately begins to mirror, in the pilot's term, his trajectory. That basically means that as the jet is descending toward the tic-tac, the tic-tac is coming up right back toward the jet. As the two crafts approach each other, the pilot begins to sweat a bit, but right when it seems like a game of chicken, the tic-tac just disappears in front of his eyes. Gone. These pilots got a real good look at the thing before it disappeared. It was smooth-sided, shaped like a 40-foot tic-tac, Kind of like the theoretical Twinkie in the original Ghostbusters, you know, Moss? That's a big Twinkie, Ray. That's, that's, a, that's a big Tic Tac, Ray. <laughs> this thing had no protrusions of any kind that would indicate wings or engines or any sort of vis- visible propulsion or steering system, nothing. It took a few seconds, some say less, as little as a second or even instantaneously, but we'll go with the longer estimate for argument's sake. But the Princeton, with its super fancy new radar equipment, was able to reacquire the Tic Tac craft on its radar screens 60 miles from the encounter site with the jets. Just to clarify, 60 miles in three seconds, which is the slowest it was going, is equivalent to 72,000 miles an hour, which would be the lowest speed this thing just moved. Yeah. Yeah. And again, those who say it was faster would put it as fast as instantaneous travel, light speed, some kind of teleportation. 
But again, we will settle for the 72,000 miles an hour for our sake. How's that? There you go. To put it in perspective, that 72,000 miles an hour, the fastest of the U.S. military's fighter jets, the fastest ones, go around 2,000 miles an hour. No, to put it in perspective, you got to be just like, you get pulled over, you're like, but officer, that UAP had to be going like 70,000 miles <laughs> right, per hour. Right, That guy was going 70,000 miles faster than me, man. <laughs> yeah. 2,000 so to 72. To 72. That's, that's quite the ratio. So even if they have stuff that goes twice as fast as they're telling us about, it's still, you know, no. a tiny fraction of, of what this thing was doing. This wasn't the only naval battle group to have such encounters. From the summer of 2014 to the spring of 2015, the USS Theodore Roosevelt aircraft carrier and its attached battle group were performing training exercises off the coast of Florida in preparation for a deployment to the Persian Gulf. So they're the other side of the country in the Atlantic instead of the Pacific, other side of the continent. Mm -hmm. But they're kind of same latitudes, right? Similar anyway. Interesting. So during this time, they were apparently almost daily radar sightings of fleets of unidentified aircraft performing unusual maneuvers in the area. The Roosevelt group never got the up-close-and-personal encounter like the pilots from the Nimitz, but they did at times get visual verification of some of the crafts, and an astonishing number of radar contacts were enough to raise a lot of people's concerns. The following is an excerpt from an article on fandom.com. Uh, this is military-history.fandom.com slash wiki slash USO Theodore Roosevelt UFO incidents. Cover our bases there. I'm going to have you read this, Moss. All righty. According to articles published in the New York Times and Popular Mechanics, among other places, Navy pilots from the carrier had reported sightings, unidentified flying objects almost daily while training for deployment to the Persian Gulf unidentified gauzy blobs on cockpit displays on board and off-board radar, infrared detections, and visual sightings by the pilots and weapon systems officers were reported. One pilot described something like a sphere encasing a cube. Once pilots reported an object almost collided with two jets, prompting the VFA-11 fighter squadron to submit an aviation flight safety report. Sphere encased in a cube... That's interesting. Yeah, like a tesser, like a tesseract, tesseract, or yeah. a, or a Horcrux. Tesseract Horcrux. was Marvel. Horcrux was Harry Potter. Oh, except tesseracts are a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. Tesseracts they're existed before Marvel, dude. I have no. a tattoo to prove it. That's older than Iron Man. Well, I don't need to see that now. No, no one needs look. to see that. Uh, look, look, look. Oh, okay, yeah. right there. I'm right there. Wow, you just did you, you didn't even have to look at my butt or nothing. Did you go to a tattoo studio just to be ready for this episode? I got that's that. preparation. I got that in Hawaii in like twenty twelve, thirteen. I can't even really remember. It's happy. been a long time. We survived uh, the return of Quetzalcoatl in 2012. Maybe like, hey, 11. I watched that uh, John Cusack movie, and we survived it, and I'm going to go get a tattoo in Hawaii. Is that kind of what happened? Um, I stopped listening to you halfway through that, to be <laughs> honest. When, <laughs> when you said John Cusack movie, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm out I'm of here. I checked out. out. I just checked out on you. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it happens. I'm yeah. going to say no Can, to your question, <laughs> there though. You go. Can you do me a favor, though? You... There's a lot going on. There was a lot to unpack with the reaction to the thing in the water and this mm-hmm. tic-tac that was happening. Mm-hmm. Briefly, sure. you have, if I'm understanding this correctly, you had the tic-tacs around or one tic-tac around. There were a fleet up, of them fle- up in the atmosphere. And then one of those one of them comes came down. down, starts to react. And then met Is up it? with that frothy water thing. So it's going near this frothy water. Oh, yeah, it went right, right over to it. Because you know what that reminds me of? What's that? Um, Godzilla destroy all monsters with the, the aliens. They they go. The UFO flies over oh, and they're yeah. picking up the Godzilla and the Rodan and they fly them off to like yeah do stuff with them. The bubbly water with Godzilla I coming. I think up. I just solved this. So did they? They didn't really see the craft that was coming out of the water. I said it was size of a seven thirty seven. So, the, so these UAPs are really just something out of Giant a Godzilla movie. IRL with. 
inside G- Ghidorah Rodan. You should Godzilla. have saved that for the Ahu Guano theory segment. Oh. <laughs> you can redo it then. Okay. Let's <laughs> pretend I didn't say that. But no, I, I'm actually just trying to figure it out with, you've got, it's reacting to the water. It's like flying over it. The, 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 something's we're, happening we're, we're going to talk more we're going to talk more about okay. it but there was definitely an interaction, an interaction between the two craft yes. and then that day they saw these things all over the place they were just all like right they, and they see them all the time apparently right. <laughs> all right i'm just trying to get the lay of the land here or the uh, lay of the ocean oh here. yeah totally totally but anywho back to it after all these incidents any ahool any ahool i need tequila and tequila. Was that the wrong time for that? Since we're pausing. No, no, that's fine. Okay, cool. Oh, I no, that's all going in there. Nice. Anywho, after all these incidents, Mr. Elizondo's resignation and his subsequent release of some of this footage to the press, some senators in D.C. took notice and started demanding a place in the loop on all the hush-hush military stuff about these UAPs. This led to the release of more original videos of the radar encounters with these crafts and a number of military personnel testifying before Congress about the veracity of these videos and the implications of what the crafts are and what it all might mean for our future as humans, earthlings even. Right. Crazy stuff, man. Oh, I know. But this is just the beginning. Yeah, because they brought all those monsters to that island and terrible things happened. We, we have not yet begun to crazy, Moz. Oh, that's, that was pretty crazy. As Senator Marco Rubio put it to 60 Minutes. Maybe it has a very simple answer. Um, maybe it doesn't. Wow. Wow, right? Some profound <laughs> stuff, man. Spoken like a true politician. Right, Thank so, you, yeah. Senator. Talking on both sides of his UAP there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He was talking out of his UFO and his UAP at the same time. I know it. Anywho, I want to look again at the encounter with the Nimitz. We're going to get more into it now, okay? I just I, I laid the foundation and then I build. That's how I do. And you land on the carrier. You're going to land it on the carrier. As long as the carrier's not me. I want to look again at the encounter with the Nimitz pilots. What? Specifically not with the Tic Tac, but with the strange, apparently anomalous frothing water that the Tic Tac seemed to have some sort of contact with. That happens with Mentos, too, when you put Mentos into, like, soda. Oh, into the uh, Coke yeah. or Diet Coke or yeah. something, yeah. I, I think we're getting closer years. to a, a whole guano, but I'm going to be really ready for that second. <laughs> <You're> gonna, <laughs> that's going to be the longest segment <laughs> of these two-parter, man. Yep. Mine's pretty good, too. We'll, we'll compare in the end. I don't have one. I guess you I do will now. will by the time we get there, yeah. <laughs> you're building it right now. But anyway, this is... Um, Reading from Oz here. The following is from the Huffington Post in an article from May 29th, 2018 with the headline, Military Report, UFOs may have attempted rendezvous with giant undersea object. I don't read from the Huffington Post. Sorry. Well, you know. I kid. So I'll I'll, I'll edit that out later. (laughs) No, I won't. Okay, go ahead. New details are emerging about a UFO sighting recorded by the U.S. military in the waters off the coast of California 14 years ago. The 2004 incident involving the Tic Tac UFO named because it was a fast-moving white object that resembled one of the mints was first revealed late last year by the New York Times and the Washington Post. The AAVs, anomalous aerial vehicles, would descend very rapidly from approximately 60,000 feet down to approximately 50 feet in a matter of seconds, the report noted. Pilots indicated there may have been something in the water as well. One pilot detailed a disturbance up to the size of a football field. The disturbance appeared to be 50 to 100 meters in diameter and close to, the, and close to round. It was the only area and type of whitewater activity that could be seen and reminded him of images of something rapidly submerging from the surface, like a submarine or a ship sinking. Submarine is interesting. The disturbed area also resembled shoal water around a barely submerged reef or island. But as the pilot flew away, he could see that the disturbance had cleared and seas calmed. Whatever caused the disturbance, the report stated that it may have been caused by an AAV, which was unseen due to cloaking or invisible to the human eye. 
A submarine in the vicinity did not detect anything unusual underwater. If an object was indeed in the Pacific Ocean, it would represent a highly advanced capability given the advanced capability of our sensors. One air crew reporting on the event received a high level of ridicule about the incident. Reported noted this would be Commander Fravor's unit from the Nimitz, by the way. The military did not confirm nor deny any of the details in the report and had little to say about other recent footage, including a video released in March of 2015 encounter now known as the Gimbal Go Fast video. Thank you, Moz. So they released the Tic Tac and Go Fast videos and disclosed all kinds of anomalous radar readings and info on other encounters. However, Luis Elizondo indicated that there was more information the public had not yet seen. He told CNN, quote, My personal belief is that there is very compelling evidence that we may not be alone. So we think of all that, man. They got cloaking. They're all over the place. They're in the ocean. They're in the sky. Yeah, openly, I don't... The stuff they're talking about in the last two or three years is beyond anything we could have imagined as far as what the military is admitting. Right. And it's making barely a splash. It's making a little frothy patch in the water. <laughs> yeah. But it's not really making a splash the way I thought it would have. I mean, people are excited about it from our end of the world. Right. But not... I, I not st- generally. I, 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 I guess I don't know what I was expecting, but I guess today things are just so I think a lot of people just don't want to put the energy into it, don't want to have to process it. I don't know. Don't want to know almost. It's a don't look up sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, we talk about it with friends and like, hey, did you read the Drudge Report headline today about UFOs? And I don't know. It's it's kind of like background noise for most folks. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Oh, speaking of which, we well, got not the people of... here. That's why we started a podcast so we can find all the people who actually know that this stuff matters in, in its own way. Right. I was going to talk about our background noise that you to, you you cleared up earlier today, so I wanted to thank you for I that. I had to unplug the beer fridge. <laughs> it's a very sad moment when you have to unplug the beer fridge. We just we can't open we, it without. This plugging is it back what in we're first. doing for you people. Right. We unplug right. the beer. That is not I a have, lie. I have meat in that freezer. We have to drink quicker now. It's a good thing it's strangely <laughs> cool today. But with your Patreon donation, this beer can be returned to a comfortable drinking temperature. It's very true. <laughs> well, I just totally lost it. All right. Oh, so uh, kind of reminds me of the uh, Klingons with the cloaking and the sneaking around and yeah, who, well, knows, those, who knows yeah. what they're going to do and like just more advanced technology than anybody else got and everything. Yeah. Have you watched Discovery yet? I have not. You told me to watch. It's a great version. I just we're we're actually behind on my Trek universe. Actually, but another friend of mine was bugging me to. I'm behind on my my Trek verse. Yeah, that's going to come up again later in uh, further parts of my arc. Actually, that show. Oh, I have old business. So I'm giving you some homework. You got to watch Star Trek Discovery for 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 not just Moz, but all you uh, members and and uh, tourists. I have some Galaxy Quest old business. Speaking of you know Star Trek parody, I said Guy Fleegan at the end of one of it was Guy Fleegman was the unknown Fleegman. Yeah, Guy Fleegman, and it's only because his name's mentioned at the very end. He's up at Crewman Seven until he gets a name at the very end of Galaxy Quest. I said it off the cuff, Guy Fleegan. I, I missed an M in there. Won't happen again. I know people expect more from me. So. Now we're going to have to do business about <laughs> apologizing for doing the old business in the middle of the episode. Wait, I got more old business. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go out of order, Moz. We just get old business. We're going to have a lot of old business. No, I'm glad you, fi- I'm glad you remembered that, though, because at least we're covering some bases. That's right. So, now, anywho, back to it. Now what I want to play... Is some excerpts from uh, that 60-minute piece that is from an interview with Commander David Fravor and Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich, the two pilots who witnessed the Tic Tac craft firsthand, the two pilots who were in those jets. I'm going to play this for you so you can hear about some of that encounter in their own words. It's kind of a highlight reel, if it were, real quick. So let's give this a listen. So as we're looking at this, her backseater says, hey, Skipper, do you? And about that, got out, I said, dude, do you, do you see that thing down there? And we saw this little white tic-tac-looking object, and it's just kind of moving above the whitewater area. 
you ever drop your phone and it sort of bounces off the mm -hmm. countertop and then bounces off something else and it's sort of like no no predictable movement, no predictable trajectory. Yeah. I guess. It was just... It was just like a ping pong ball. No just acceleration. Very, very random. Acceleration. The Tic Tac still point north-south, it goes and just turns abruptly and starts mirroring me. So as I'm coming down, it starts coming up. Yeah, it was aware we were there. So I go like this and it's climbing still. When it gets right in front of me, it just disappears, like gone. There was four of us in the airplanes literally watching this thing for roughly about five minutes. I don't know who's building it, who's got the technology, who's got the brains, but there's, there's something out there that was better than our airplane. I fear we run from our own shadow. No, we run from, yeah, <laughs> pro council. There's some Star Trek in there trying to bring back a little Romulan commander. Better than our airplanes by 70,000 miles an hour at least. We've done the math, people. So let's follow that with an excerpt from an interview George Knapp did with Commander Fravor. This is the end of that interview. You can find the whole thing online at mysterywire.com. Maz, I'm going to have you play Commander Fravor, and I will play George Knapp. You ready? I want to play George. Oh, no, go ahead. It's okay. Couldn't find audio, gotta, so we got to read it. Understood. Okay. So I'm Fravor. So you're Fravor. I'm Knapp. I'm going to be the interviewer. You be the pilot. Gotcha. So, one other question. I don't know what you can say about this. A lot of reports about congressional interest at last. From congressional interest, staff members, and elected members... Can you say anything about whether you've been involved in any of that or whether you know that there are, in fact, inquiries? I won't get into specifics, but I will say yes. There's an interest inside the government to actually investigate. It's just like anything. I wouldn't say it's bipartisan at all. We're not split down the middle on this. I think there's people from both sides that say, hey, look, there's a technology, there's capabilities out there that we can't explain that are able to penetrate defenses. So just from a national security point, you would say, I'd probably pay a little attention. Are they hostile? I don't know. We haven't been attacked or anything like that. But I look at it for two reasons. One is there's a capability. We can't explain it. Number two is if you can explain it, then you can literally change everything that we do. Literally change everything that we do. And this isn't the only up-close-and-personal incidents U.S. pilots have had with unknown aircraft. New info is coming in, or I should say coming out, all the time. And I'm not just talking about Chinese spy balloons. Right. It is 2023, after all. i got to mention it. Uh, some of which may not have been balloons, but, you know, we'll get into that later. They shot one of those down in Roswell in 47, yeah. Yeah, there you go. That was, that was just a balloon, too, right? Yep. For an example, though... Let's go to an article from Politico, published February 28th, 2023, so reasonably fresh. This is titled, We Have a Real UFO Problem, and It's Not Balloons. I'll read this one myself. On a clear sunny day in April 2014, two FA-18s took off for an air combat training mission off the coast of Virginia. The jets, part of my Navy fighter squadron, climbed to an altitude of 12,000 and steered towards Warning Area W-72, an exclusive block of airspace 10 miles east of Virginia Beach. All traffic into the training area goes through a single GPS point at a set altitude, almost like a doorway into a massive room where military jets can operate without running into other aircraft. Just at the moment the two jets crossed the threshold, one of the pilots saw a dark gray cube inside of a clear sphere, motionless against the wind, fixed directly at the entry point. The jets, only a hundred feet apart, zipped past the object on either side. The pilots had come so dangerously close to something they couldn't identify that they terminated the training mission immediately and returned to base. Quote, I almost hit one of those damn things, the flight leader, still shaken by the incident, told us shortly after in the pilot's ready room. We all knew exactly what he meant. Those damn things had been plaguing us for the previous eight months. I joined the U.S. Navy in 2009 and underwent years of rigorous training as a pilot, specifically 
We are trained to be expert observers in identifying aircraft with our sensors and our eyes. It's our job to know what's in our operating area. That's why in 2014, after upgrades were made to our radar system, our squadron made a startling discovery. There were unknown objects in our airspace. Initially, the objects were showing up on our newly upgraded radars, and we assumed they were ghosts in the machine or software glitches. But then we began to correlate the radar tracks with multiple surveillance systems, including infrared sensors that detected heat signatures. Then came the hair-raising near misses that required us to take evasive action. These were no mere balloons. The unidentified aerial phenomena accelerated at speeds of up to Mach 1, the speed of sound. They could hold their position, appearing motionless despite Category 4 hurricane force winds of 120 knots. They did not have any visible means of lift, control surfaces, or propulsion. In other words, nothing that resembled normal aircraft with wings, flaps, or engines. And they outlasted our fighter jets, operating continuously throughout the day. I am a formally trained engineer, but the technology they demonstrated defied my understanding. What do you think of that, Moz? Yeah, again, we're finding things that... Uh off-the-chart capabilities finally being admitted by... And, and it, what, like I said, I do want to say for a very long time, people have come forward after they retired, people had deathbed confessions, people have been saying this, pilots, when they just survey how many pilots have had strange experiences, very high. But to have these things kind of more officially being stated, it is a new day, and it is frightening, because yeah. now they're admitting how much further ahead these capabilities are than anything we could even imagine. And and it does make it more real. Even for those who really believed in it, it makes it more real to you that they are finally admitting it and giving videos of it and admitting all these radar sightings they can't understand and all these sightings they can't explain. But even speaking back to Roswell, we've been reverse engineering that stuff since 47. Why don't they catch up? That's why we have have cell phones. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's where cell phones came from, was that Roswell crash, reverse engineering ever since then. That's where the whole space program came from. Yeah. Well, we didn't get these things that go this fast. That's not this season, though. I'm not getting into that this season. Ooh, we're jumping ahead. Monsters of cell phones. That'll be season four if if people are listening to us still at that point. There we go. Yeah. So stick around, people. Follow along on this Monster Lore Tour, monsterloretour.com, patreon.com slash monsterloretour. Paid for by subsidiaries. Of. <laughs> Paid for by Monster Lore Tour. Because nobody else has given us money yet. <laughs> Anywho. All right, let's move on. For our next point, let's talk about moving fast. I've glanced on this already. Our fastest jets go about 2,000 miles an hour. This tic-tac is moving at, as far as we can approximate from the record, over 70,000 miles per hour faster than that. The only time man has achieved such speeds, and we have achieved these speeds, Moss, and actually speeds quite a bit faster than that 70,000 mile per hour mark. But we've done it in space with unmanned craft. The Voyager space probes, which we use to visit Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune as gravity assists for additional propulsion, are traveling at over 30,000 miles per hour. This is the slingshot stuff, yeah. They they did do some gravity slingshots on their way through to to save fuel and add speed kind of thing. Uh, Voyager 1 is going around 38,000 miles. But wait, from Star Trek, if we're going to go back to Star Trek, Voyager was the first movie, and the whale one... V'ger, please. V'ger. So V'ger, exactly. V'ger was was the first episode, and the whales was four. So they're getting there, totally mixing... The slingshot with the V'ger. Oh, so the frothing in the water was actually them beaming up a humpback whale to save the future? I think. That was Star Trek Four. Four, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, this is definitely more of a Trek than a Star Wars episode. So the Tic Tac was really just a remote teleport transponder thing. Yeah. To lock in on the whale properly. It was Scotty. 
Just beaming it into the aquarium. Yep. There be whales here. I really like that. It's sorry. This is going to have so many Ahuguano <laughs> theories mixed into it. It's going to be like we're Swiss just going to jump man. to that segment. Swiss then. cheese, with and then all how the are we going to eat it? That's all we're doing. Right now. Just jump to that. Just don't watch Mickey Mouse do it. That's all I got to say. Oh, we just watched that. Today. I know people make you watch stuff, and it's like, why did you make me watch that? Anywho, all right. So I was saying the Voyager is going around thirty. Voyager one is going around thirty-eight thousand miles an hour. Voyager two is going about thirty-five thousand miles an hour. So they're working on it, but they're definitely not up to that 70,000-mile mark. But we do have some craft out there that are going a good bit faster than that. The following is from universitytoday.com in an article titled, Going 1 Million Miles Per Hour with Advanced Propulsion. Maz, what are the fastest spacecraft we have made? You just said V'ger. No, you got to read Oh, okay. <laughs> We're reading an article. I was trying to be savvy. Okay. The Voyager 1 spacecraft is moving at 38,000 miles per hour, 61,000 kilometers an hour. This was mostly achieved with a chemical rocket, but also with a gravitational slingshot. The Juno, Helios, and Helios 2 spacecraft reached speeds of 150,000 miles per hour using gravitational boosts. The recently launched Parker Solar Probe will reach 430,000 miles per hour using the sun's gravity. 430,000 miles per hour. That's next level. A, a man-made craft is going to be going that fast pretty soon. That's pretty cool, right? It's cheating. Yeah, but I, so, I mean, so are the UAPs. They, right. they obviously don't have a Hemi in there. This is like they're cheating, <laughs> well, too. Well, my thing is in this. Oh, you have a Hemi there? Okay. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> But if, if you use the sun's gravity, which is obviously a lot stronger than any of the planet's gravity, Earth's gravity, you can achieve remarkably faster speeds than what we can achieve now with any sort of propul actual propulsion. Right. Right? So you, you're, you're cheating and using gravity. It's exactly right. right. But it, it's not the most efficient manner of achieving these speeds. Unless it's it's you not can, like in the movies, like Star Trek, where it just happens really quick. If the Tic Tac's moving, there would have to be a planet... In, in, or, or a gravity field that strong in those right, directions right. in that moment, but which to, makes no sense. Let, let's hear a little bit more of this article here, Maz. Read that next little bit for me. All righty. However, using the gravity of Jupiter and the sun to get more speed wastes a lot of time. The spacecraft takes many months to go around the sun and get speed before starting the real mission. So there you go. So as fast as you can go with a gravity assist from a body as big as the sun, it's very planned and long-term sort of a acceleration. Couldn't mirror things in real time. And right. Like you can get going half a million miles an hour or whatever. But you're going that way now. But it's going to take you months <laughs> to achieve that speed and then months to slow down yeah. and turn around and things like that. So how would we explain how this tic-tac moved if we had to? Because that's doing the instantaneous travel like this, like that, like that, back and forth, up and down, in in atmosphere, mind you. So guns to our scientists' heads, what would they say to at least theoretically explain this thing? No wings, no visible motor propulsion or steerage, an instantaneous acceleration to crazy fast, even, dare I say, ludicrous speeds. Did you just space balls me? <laughs> right in the face. Oh. Anywho, the only concept I can find out Don't there. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. Keep my space balls to myself. The only concept Excuse I can... Excuse me while I whip this out. <laughs> Where are all the Tic Tacs at? Uh. Okay, now we're going a little deep. Anywho, the only concept I can find out there that would allow for this kind of movement all starts with the theory of field propulsion. This is how Wikipedia currently defines field propulsion. Field propulsion is the concept of spacecraft propulsion where no propellant is necessary, but instead momentum of the spacecraft is changed by an interaction of the spacecraft with external force fields, such as gravitational and magnetic fields from stars and planets. It is purely speculative and has not yet been demonstrated to be of practical use or theoretically valid. I need to keep myself in check there and keep that whole thing in, you know? There you go. <laughs> so we haven't proved it yet. 
But what if it's a thing? See, this is where we start getting into thought experiment side of this. But what, what if it can be done? What would it look like to have a craft that worked off fields like that, that created its own fields with which to maneuver? To get deeper into it real quick, going to have you read something else here, Maz. Right. It's, uh, you're going to read part of the opening paragraph of a scientific paper written by Walter Drosher and Johann Hauser from Ostfalia University of Applied Sciences. It is entitled Gravitational Field Propulsion. Field Propulsions and You. <laughs> that sounded a little sagan -y. Can I do it with my Sagan voice? Please, this would be great for Sagan. There we go. Current space transportation systems are based on the principle of momentum conservation of classical physics. Therefore, for all space vehicles need some kind of fuel for operation. Launch capabilities for the surface of the Earth require huge amounts of fuel, hence space flight as envisioned by Von Braun in the early 50s of the last century will not be possible using this concept. Only if novel physical principles are found can these limits be overcome. Gravitational field propulsion is based on the generation of gravitational field by man-made devices. In other words, gravity fields should be experimentally controllable. At present, it is believed that there are four fundamental interactions in physics, strong nuclei, weak radioactive decay, electromagnetic, and gravitational. As experience has shown for the last six decades, none of these physical interactions is suitable as a basis for novel space propulsion. None of the advanced physical theories, like string theory or quantum gravity, go beyond the four known interactions. On the contrary, recent results from the causal dynamical triangulation simulations indicate that the wormholes in space-time do not seem to exist, and thus even this type of exotic space travel may well be impossible. However, recently novel physical concepts were presented that might lead to advanced space propulsion technology based on two novel fundamental force fields. These force fields are represented by two additional long-range gravitational-like force fields that would be both attractive and repulsive, resulting from interaction of gravity with electromagnetism. A propulsion technology based on these novel long-range fields would be working without propellant. Thank you, Maz, but I don't think I quite got it. Can you say again? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That's something sorry. I would do. I expect more. I'm sorry. <laughs> well done. Thank you, Mr. Sagan. He has a billion of them. So there is the established theory that put forth in August 2009 that we supposedly haven't figured out yet. Now, let me give you some information from an official U.S. Navy record and disclosure of invention, which is a specific piece of paperwork, filed about seven years later in September 2016. These forms are used when an employee of the Navy wants to disclose a new invention, or in this case, a testable concept for a potential invention, testable concept, mind you, for a potential invention, to the U.S. Navy command. They file this in preparation for filing for funding from the Navy, and it looks like this project ultimately got $150,000 in funds to run some proof-of-concept experiments. You can find these documents at www.navair.navy.mil slash FOIA, F-O-I-A, slash documents. If you want to read along, you can go look that up real quick. Are you ready, Maz? I'm going to blow your mind a little bit here. Do it. For the title of the invention, the redacted inventor... There are redactions, no names on here. The redacted inventor wrote, The High Frequency Gravitational Wave Generator. Part 1, Section 8 says, This invention arises as a follow-up to Navy case PAX-182, which was ultra-high intensity electromagnetic field generator and Navy Case PAX 205, which was internal mass reduction device. An internal mass reduction device manipulates quantum field fluctuations, 
in order to reduce a vehicle's inertial and gravitational mass. So it's changing the mass of the vehicle. It's changing like the weight you, of the vehicle. It's changing the right. everything. Like if you go to the moon, you're one-sixth your weight. Your inertial mass is one-sixth, but your gravitational mass is still what it is on Earth because that doesn't change. Right. I'm with you. This can change that. This allows it to travel at, dare I say, ludicrous, ludicrous speeds. speeds. You spaceballed me again. Yeah, I did. I did. Let's see how many times. Basically. It's too many. One, too many. <laughs> Three strikes, you're out, Moz. Anyway, basically it's the key to experimentally controlling gravity fields, as mentioned in the paper. This Navy invention that got funding for proof of concept based on previous funded projects in coordination with that, you have gravity field and electromagnetic field. Seven years after the scientists started talking about this isn't a thing, but this could be a thing. And now all of a sudden the Navy is trying to do it. Yeah, I'd say two points on that funding. One was... You said it's testable, so that's the impressive testable. piece. It has to at least be testable. And then the unimpressive piece is 150000 <laughs> That they made public. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, as soon as And that's just proof right. of concept. Once, no, I, if I that it. works, all of a sudden yeah. it's $2 billion, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, they're just giving one guy like, hey, go to a coffee yeah. shop. What do you need to see if this will work? Job. I want to go to a coffee shop and think about this and then you know, make there that. There you go. Yeah. That's why we need a podcast. You go to the coffee shop and think about the podcast. I know, I'm, I'm, and we can get that. We can change the, the weight and mass of this podcast and get yeah. it to move where no podcast has gone before. Yeah, but let's get back to this uh, official government paperwork. Under background on this form, they explain, no published literature exists on the generation of such high-power HFGW, which is high-frequency gravity waves. It wasn't high-power from uh, Police Academy? High-tower. Oh, okay, good. Since, um, anywho, I'm going to start that over. No published literature exists on the generation of such high-power, high-frequency gravity waves since the ultra-high electromagnetic field flux levels could not be achieved until now. That's a direct quote. Could not be achieved until now. Until now. On February 11th, 2016, the National Science Foundation publicly announced that the Laser Interferometry Gravitational Wave Observatory... Easy for you to say. No, it wasn't. ...had finally detected gravitational waves from the collision of two stellar mass black holes, approximately 30 times the mass of our sun, thereby showing the physical reality of such waves and further strengthening general relativity theory. Making Einstein writer. It was a huge day for nerds. I got excited that day. I remember that day. It's a momentous day. That's Anywho, the, des- the description goes on with some heavy science about how this thing works. I'm going to let you read that on your own. Later, pause us and do it now if you want, but that's that way you can properly absorb it. But here's what they say for the advantages and new features section. Advantages of invention have to do with possible applications ranging from advanced field propulsion, space drive, to communication through solid objects, as well as asteroid, planetoid, disruption, and disintegration. We're apparently building Death Star technology right now, Moss. Our Navy is building a Death Star. And here's my gratuitous geek out moment of the week. The HFGW, the High Frequency Gravity Wave Generation, via the Gerstenstein effect. Did you just? I just. (laughs) Gerstenstein. you. (laughs) Is accompanied by high frequency electromagnetic radiation, which can further alter the local space-time lattice energy density, thereby manipulating the local vacuum energy state. Did you catch that? It doesn't just move through space, but space-time. Right. So This would indicate instantaneous travel, right? right. basically bending space like the concept they use in Event Horizon. Have you seen that horrendously horrifying movie that's so good? Yeah, the Jurassic Park guy in it, yeah. Literally just 
jump from one point in space to another without traveling through the points in between. You f- you bring them together and right. slide. Shortest distance between. Slide like the Penguin in Fight Club, man. Just slide. Wow. I don't you know where that there. came from. You really went there. But literally. It came from Fight Club. You said it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's supposed to stay there. But anyway, this, this you, type you, of you travel. You messed up rule number one. Oh, I'm not supposed to talk about <laughs> it. Why did I talk about the Penguin? I'm du- doubly not supposed to talk about the Penguin. I'm so going to get kicked out of Fight Club. It's oh, terrible. Let me get some tequila. Anywho, this type of travel is indicative of both teleportation, time travel capabilities, which are actually the same thing when you look at it, right? You jump through space like that. You are time traveling in in a way. But I'm digressing again. Let's get back to the point. So do you know what I just said, Moz? I I just said the U.S. Navy has been actively funding real R&D on the actual building Building of of multiple field generators to build a propulsion system. Very specifically in the paperwork. That's not even in the redacted part. You can read it. In plain speech, what we're saying is they're combining two of the main forces, like Mr. Sagan was so happy to tell us about, that make the universe work, as far as we can tell anyway get more on that later too we can potentially create more of this type of motion by combining these two forces using some sort of mix the gravitational electromagnetic you can potentially create a propulsion system that works like a frictionless gravity well with the duality of the two forces forces re- attracting and repelling each other so it's anti-gravity it's very much how we would, yes, anti-gravity. It's got a field propulsion. It's almost a slang term for field propulsion, anti-gravity drive. Right. Just another way of saying the same thing. Yes, very good. So you're with me then. That's good. You're good. So our foundation is firmly set now, and we're ready to jump down the rabbit hole into the heart of this whole thought experiment. Should be a wormhole in this case, but okay. All right. So, uh, but because, you know, when you jump into wormholes, your timeline gets all disrupted. This is the end of part one. And the spaghettification process begins. So just as we start, we end. And when we start again, we'll be in the middle. Yes. Because that's how timelines on this podcast work. Oh, that's, I'm glad you're making less sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, if you're not a member, you're going to have to wait till next week for part two. If you are a member, part two will be in the member section already so you can go listen to it right now in the member section keep caught up we probably have some more beyond that can't promise anything we record ahead it's kind of weird again our timeline no one can keep track of us right as long as we release an episode a week and try to keep them in order as long as we create <laughs> that's the a, most gravi- we can ask a of gravitational ourselves. field that we can fall into right we'll be fine and if nothing else and if it goes wrong we call the navy we get a, t- a time travel machine and we go back and fix it so it's all going to be fine anyway we're well, going to heidegger it well, Heidegger, as, as you would say, most. Well, you know the paradox with the twin paradox. We could be the twit paradox. You know, I'm sure that we can come up with that too, in a, a whole guano theory at some point. Twiddle D and twiddle dumb. Something like that. Yeah. I, I, are you the D or the dumb? Uh, the we can do. I think that one's a Tweedle D to my dumb as another episode, and then we can argue about that. The jabber to my walkie. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's pretty good. I'm com- we're coming up with a Jabber bunch of them here. Jabber to my walkie. going to have to start writing these down in the middle of the episode. I like it. Anywho, before we go too much farther off the rails, uh, any more questions or comments or, or theories or anything you want to get to, Moz, before we end part one of this UAP thought experiment? I would just reiterate th- that so much has come out and we're going in such light speed, ludicrous speed it, It's hard to keep up because I, I wrote, I started writing this a long time ago and I keep having to update, update, update. Right. And the Alien Probes one that comes after this has just turned into this huge long thing and mm-hmm. it's history and current events and it, it's getting out of hand. Like if, I, I'm cutting it off. If they release more stuff, it's going to have to wait till like I'll do a year in review a year after this arc ends and update things because at a certain point like how long can you go on you know (laughs) but it's not making the splash it's really not i think it's just people okay i'm gonna get a little deep on my societal issues right here maybe it's just me but with the new technology the internet and social media and cgi and everything else all these movies blah 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 immersive video games blah 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 I think there are more and more people that have a hard time distinguishing real reality 
Right. It sounds made up. From partial reality, right. from total bullshit. And AI is writing about how AI just, is going to take us over. <laughs> yeah, people read about this stuff and they go, oh, that's like out of a Marvel movie. And they categorize it in that same bin in their brain and it never really becomes real to them. Yeah. You no, know, I know fake news. Is... It, it, it's too much to comprehend that this is actually a real thing in the cases that are really like some of these new videos, man. It's getting harder and harder to argue against the, the reality of these things with, with these new videos that are coming out. Yep. And I'm hoping we're going to do more and more on the cryptid I, side. I expect we'll too. get more and more and more as time goes on. Now that there's cameras more and more everywhere all the time. Dash cams what we everywhere. need is in America, we need to all have dash cams like they do in Russia. Those Russian dash cam videos make a ton of money online. We could like pay off the national debt with that. And then in the meantime, we could get maybe some Sasquatch or Bat Squatch or Sheep Squatch or Skin Walkers or some sort of other shapeshifter thing on video. Because yeah, no. all these people who are, you know, see it in the middle of the night in the woods where they're the only ones there and they don't have a camera ready in those 10 seconds that they're getting the crap scared out of them, which is totally understandable. If you just had a dash cam. You know, well, and I'm wanting to talk. I drive for a living. I don't even have one. So I, that's something I got to do. Okay. So as soon as we get to 10 Patreon members, I will get a dash cam. And I will unhook and I, it. And I will make sure that if I ever get anything cool on video, it will go on the website. There we go. There's our first landmark. Hopefully we're there already and I can just go buy a dash cam. <laughs> <laughs> But anyhow, all right, I'm going to wrap this up. That does it for this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on so you can keep track of the Monster Lore Tour as we roll along. We're going to record the follow-up for this episode now where we'll be discussing a potential fifth force of nature. Ooh, this is pretty new news, too, at least at the time of recording. Uh, these follow-ups, which we're calling member side trail excursions, will only be available in our members area, which you can find at our Patreon at patreon.com slash tour, or through our website at monsterloretour.com. You can also get early access to future episodes and all the other bonus material we'll coming up with in the future in the members area. So if you're interested, please check it out. In the meantime, we'll see you back here next week at the edge of nowhere for the next Monster Lore Tour. Thanks again. Have a good one, listener. Dude, we need the fruit, the burp.